This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have as our guest today, Patrick Rutherford, PhD, who holds a bachelor's degree in theology, a master's degree in health administration, and a PhD in educational administration. He has worked as a pastor, a hospital administrator, and university lecturer. He is known for his presentations on emotional health and spiritual life and emotional intelligence. He is the author of a book titled God and President Trump plus the rest of us. Are you out there, Patrick? I'm here. Pleasure to be with you, John. It's great to have you, Patrick. Glad you're here. Uh, I wanted to, I guess, start off with a couple of things that uh, I was just talking about you about. Tell me about emotional health and emotional intelligence. Can you do that? Oh, sure. We, we often think of ourselves as uh, from a physical perspective. Uh, are we tall? Are we short? And um, uh, what was the complexion? You know, all those things. Uh, then from a materialistic perspective, how much money do we have? What name do we have? Um, and, uh, and then uh, from, you know, from a health perspective, are we strong or weak? All those kinds of things. And oftentimes we overlook or emotional state, and which is a powerful driver of all the other things that affect our lives. Uh, so emotional health is, has come into the fore in you know, probably past uh, five, 10 years as, as a powerful uh, influence in people's lives. People are aware of it because there are more and more people who have uh, suffered from depression, uh, from anxiety, from, uh, from phobias, and all these kinds of things. And so people are, are paying more attention, more willing to go to the psychiatrist, psychologist, to get counseling and stuff like that. It, it, it is still a major, major problem in society. We, uh, people become wealthier, they become more independent, but they still suffer from loneliness, from depression, all these emotional illnesses that plague society. So, so emotional health is a critical part of what makes us whole. Um, with reference to emotional intelligence, uh, the, the part of what society has used in the past to judge the, the, the mental acumen of a person is what we call IQ, intelligence coefficient, which measures how how bright they are, how well they remember things, how well they can calculate and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's now become more aware from various research and, and various books have been written on it that to be emotionally intelligent 
is, is the greatest driver to a person's success in life, far greater than, than IQ. There are people who were high school dropouts or didn't make um, the honor roll in college university who are successful in their careers uh, because they know how to relate to people. So, so if I were to define emotional intelligence in, in a most simplistic way, I would call it common sense. And common sense is not so common. Or some people call it street smart. In, in, in a more um, scientific way, I, I would say that um, emotional intelligence is the capacity, the ability to be in touch with one's own feelings, to understand oneself, and to translate that knowledge into understanding the feelings of others and to be able to relate to them intelligently based on that knowledge. So um, the people who have high emotional intelligence are people who usually demonstrate great people skills. They can empathize, they can have compassion, they, um, they understand what it is to, to love themselves and just to love other people. Uh, we, we are seeing in society today people becoming so insular. So, and, and the people who are least emotionally intelligent are the people who are the most wicked, unkind, and unfeeling. I give it back to you. I um, have experienced a lot of that myself from time to time, uh, depending upon place and time. Um, and I wanted to ask you how to overcome, how can people overcome the victim mentality? Ah, the victim mentality is brought on by people experiencing pain and tribulations. Now, all of us as human beings go through, through some kind of rejection, some kind of emotional hurt, some kind of distress in our lives uh, that causes us to put up our defense mechanisms. Uh, one powerful but unproductive defense mechanism is to play the, the, the role of the victim. Poor me, uh, why did all this have to happen to me? And, but when we look at how emotions work, people with negative emotions relate to their environment in negative ways. So you hear what you have in your heart. So people who are victims uh, become manipulative. They, um, they do not face the reality of the, the rest of the world outside of their victimhood. They tend to, to hurt people or they tend to um, overcompensate by being overkind, being overly kind, uh, thinking that being kind to others will validate them. But usually uh, those individuals choose individuals who are all victims who can't reciprocate because they find needy people to meet their own need. It, it becomes an unproductive methodology of going forward. So what happens to those individuals is that they say, um, 
they've been very kind, very generous uh, to, to needy people, but it's not out of a strength of, of character, but out of a need to feel accepted and wanted. When those individuals don't reciprocate the kindness that they give, then they fall back on, oh my goodness, all I, after all I've done for you, you can't do anything kind for me? But they invested in the wrong place. Well, more so for the wrong, with the wrong motive. People who are whole give out of a heart of love, not looking for anything in return. People who give out of their victimhood give for validation to return to them. And they're usually disappointed because the, person, the people that they give to uh, are usually in a position. Then you have the raw, outright victim. The, the people who are outright victims um, are individuals who live in the poor me world. I can never make it because life has been so rough for me and so difficult. Um, these individuals are difficult to help because every time you reach a hand out to help them, they have an excuse why they can't succeed. Oh, you know, they're, they're hiding on a safe way. I, I mean, I, I can give you today's lunch. I can give you, you know, help with this and that. But it would be better off if you went and applied for a job at Publix or Safeway or, or Home Depot or one of these places that's hiring. Um, and they will say, oh, no, you know, I, I don't have a resume. So you have to fix a resume. Oh, 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 you, you know, I, I'm not going to get the job. You know, I, they, they won't like me. They have every excuse not to put a foot forward. The, the unfortunate thing is that because they are not emotionally well, uh, they turn out afterwards to resent their persons that are helping them. So how do you, I'm gonna ask you after this, having described some of how victims operate, let me, let me share with you now that um, how do you get out of it? One is, one must acknowledge that the path they're on is not an upward path and take responsibility for themselves and for their actions. Blaming others for all the miseries that we have doesn't get us anywhere. When people take accountability for themselves, I need to provide for myself. I need to treat people respect and appreciate what they do for me and to forgive those who have hurt me because I've hurt people in my lifetime too and, and I want their forgiveness. Uh, if I carry the baggage, if all I have in me is pain, all I will share is pain. So I need to let that pain go. I need to release the person and, and accept and appreciate my value in life. Uh, if, if you... If you don't believe in God, you have value. If you believe in God, that's the greatest value you can have, in, in my opinion, that God values and loves you as an individual and that you're precious. And if you, if you are hanging around long enough around good people, you will find people to, to validate you, to encourage you, and to lift you up. But you, you have to want that. And so people... Um, 
I, I, I want to emphasize this powerful, because for me it has been a powerful statement personally. People do what they do because of who they are, not because of who you are. So people who do bad things to us, who hurt us, who cause us pain, do that because they themselves are in pain. And what they have in them is pain, so all they can share is pain. And emotional pain is as hurtful, as painful to an individual that as is physical pain. So, so the brain makes no distinction between uh, uh, the pain you feel when you when you hurt, you know, squeeze your finger, or or when somebody hits you. Uh, there's no difference to the brain as to when somebody says something disrespectful to you. It's all interpreted that way. We tend to, especially with somebody that we we want to be in a relationship with that or that we care for, when that person does something painful to us, we tend to shrug it off and say, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. But in some conscious, it registers as pain. And if we don't deal with it and forgive the person, acknowledge the wrong, forgive the person, and lift ourselves out of that state of reacting to a painful situation. It's difficult to come out of victimhood. So that the path out of victimhood is to acknowledge who we are, what baggage we are carrying, carrying, be willing to let it go, and to embrace a fresh new way of thinking and living, learning to love and respect ourselves, learning to love and respect others, and to be honest with ourselves about what we're doing, stop the manipulation of society and the people around us to get what we want and be at a level where we love and receive love. We're kind and receive kindness and we rise above it. I recall uh, years ago with my first wife, we tried uh, marital counseling Yes, and uh, it didn't work out, but uh, it did for me because I continued on in, in group therapy on my own. Excellent. And with that experience, uh, you you always knew because the, cha- the the chairs were always changing from people coming and going, coming and going. Yes. And you could always tell the you could always tell immediately those that came in, poor me. Uh-huh. And that's that's quite a label. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and and you can ex- you can explain to them all the time that you want, but you know it's something they they've got to figure out on the on their yeah. own. Uh, inner self you can uh, give them the tools but they got to work it that's right exactly exactly you know i i see a lot um for instance i ordered a t-shirt that has forgive across the chest on my shirt yeah in big letters and i and i like to wear that when i'm walking the dog on sundays yeah <laughs> uh, more people wave at me uh, on uh, during that type of thing and i guess the thing i've learned most about forgiveness is you're going nowhere unless you've forgiven yourself oh yes that is powerful very very true um matter of fact um many people walk around with with that sense of and and the lack of forgiveness is is based in 
the way some some of us are reared. We, we, we're reared in a shame-based society. We are manipulated by guilt. If you don't do this, I'm going to do that to you. Uh, you're a naughty boy. You, you, you never do things right. And, um, and even in the context of Christianity, uh, one of the big downfalls of Christianity is uh, are people who practice the faith out of legalism. If I can work my way into heaven, they don't appreciate and, and um, accept the fact that God is love and, and, and his love is what lifts us. And they think that their obedience that lifts them. And when, they, when they, they fail to obey, the guilt comes on and it just destroys them from inside. So, so to, for, to learn to forgive oneself um, is, is a very essential part of emotional well-being. And part of learning to forgive oneself is to accept the reality of our, our humanness. You look around, show me any perfect person. Um, the, the, the story is told of, of um, a woman that was admired for the way she treated her husband, um, and, and he was not very kind. And 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 she said, "How oh, man, you're such a sweet and wonderful woman." She says, um, she, "She responded, you haven't seen my teeth mark in the bed head and the pillow from the anger." <laughs> that I've carried all these years. Uh, <laughs> so, so um, you know, people can put a front forward like they're the perfect person, they are wonderful, they are great. But the reality is that all of us are defective. All of us. And when we, when we accept that defectiveness or, or, or basic humanness that we are not perfect, we are more willing to accept ourselves as we are and we can begin to count our blessings and say, you know, although I have this on the negative side, I do have this on the positive side. I'm worth something. I'm of value. Let me let it go so I can move on. I, I often compare my life to that of a dancer. A dancer has to feel safe on the stage on which they are dancing. And the stage of life is my past. If there are holes in the stage, the dancer is not free to move. They're always looking to see where the holes are that their foot may fall into and they may hurt themselves. But when they become comfortable with the stage and are safe on that stage, she's safe on that stage, then they can dance to their heart's desire. And that's our history, that's our past. When we forgive ourselves and we forgive others, we make peace with our past. We feel safe as human beings and we can dance. We can look forward and plan forward and act in the present with freedom and security because we are at peace with our past. Well, that's certainly important. People don't realize that until, I guess, sometimes too late. Then, then they, and hopefully, they'll recognize it and then deal with it uh, with, I guess, professionals that can make life better yes. for you. Yes. Yes. Let me um, let me ask you the um, the number one 
question here you've you've posed and it's about your book yes and yeah did did god make donald trump president um that question actually inspired the writing of the book because several people were calling me and asking me uh, what's my opinion about about the president and this book was written a few months after he became president so those questions were fresh um in in my head and i had to answer the question for myself also so um what to, to understand the the, the, the the answer to the question is a fundamental uh, thing about God that people must understand. And that is God has given people the power of choice. And oftentimes when we fail to do what God wants, we turn around and blame God that he has done this to us. Did, did God allow it? Could God have stopped it? Yes. Did he allow it? Yes. But, but he allows us to make choices, make our choices about we choose our life partner, we choose our career, we choose whether we want to serve God or not. He allows us that freedom. He doesn't beat us up and say, you got to serve me. Uh, we, we choose our president. And the, the, the so, so the, the the coming of, of Donald Trump to the President of the United States is a product of people's choices. God allowed it, and hopefully, hopefully people will open their eyes and see and acknowledge whether they made a good choice or a poor choice, and be willing to, if they think they made a bad choice, which I think they did, um, be willing to acknowledge and forgive themselves for having made that choice, and to do differently in the next election. Uh, the, the book, part of what frightened me about Donald Trump and his, his rhetoric and his approach to doing things, it reminded me so much of, of Hitler. And there's a chapter in the book on, on, on Hitler. Uh, Hitler uh, exploited the the economic situation in his country at the time and whatever means he could use to give people the impression that he was the only answer they could find to the nation's problems. But in his demeanor and his way of doing things, for those who were discerning, it was obvious that he was setting himself up as a monarch. And I was seeing those same characteristics in, in, in Donald Trump as he was campaigning. He had no respect for the, the people who were of his party that were running. He spoke, he was just tearing down everybody and everything because the narcissism in him was just let, coming out. I am, I am the greatest thing, I'm, I'm the best. And it frightened me. Um, so I I wrote the book for what what part of what frightened me was the amount of evangelical Christians 
that were in support of Trump. And, and you know, they had their agenda. They wanted uh, uh, people on the Supreme Court to share their views. I learned a long time ago that morality cannot be legislated. And that while, you know, it, it, it does make a difference for the nation who sits on, in the Supreme Court, that's not the methodology between, um, by which uh, we best help the, the country to live, and I use I, I, I use your um, your keyword with integrity. We live with integrity when our moral values reflect the highest and noblest of humanity. And I was not seeing the highest and noblest in that campaign. I was seeing divisiveness. I was seeing people being torn down, skin to light. There were dirt. Um, and it frightened me that this man would become the president of the country. Um, I did not see somebody that had a strategic plan for where the country was going to go. I saw somebody manipulating the country to have power and would not know how to use that power for a greater good because goodness was not coming out of what he was saying. So, um, so, the reality is that, as, as I have looked at his three plus years in the presidency, I, I'm seeing what I foresaw, unfortunately, uh, unfolding before me. Uh, and, and, and it is frightening to me the thought that he might get a second term. I, I, I pray it doesn't happen because uh, it's just not the best of what the country can produce. Well, I think, Patrick, uh, from my standpoint, that there's sometimes you have to say to yourself, now, which is worse? Is it this party or that party? And what will happen if that particular party, uh, let's say, uh, obtains the office and then yeah. begins to, uh, to do things that you don't agree with? Uh, I yeah. think a lot of that. Uh, the, less, the less of the two that, it is, yeah, 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 exactly. And and I've I've often heard that uh, just as as the, we get closer to uh, the election, which is just geez, what a couple of months away now. Yeah. Um, that that, that you, you think you know which one is the worst that could happen, uh, and yeah. then you go back and you say, well, you know, it's uh, it's something that I certainly wouldn't vote for. I would uh, I would not vote for the, uh, the the rioters, and I would not vote for those that uh, are that. That's where your divisiveness comes from, and then they uh, in turn try to blame it on the blame it on their opponent. Uh, it's um, I don't know. It's it's sometimes you, you wake up in the morning with this COVID nineteen, and you say to yourself, Do I just stay inside today and not go out or do I want to get out and, and, and live life to the extent that you can only because you can. Yeah. Um, there is, there is and, and part, part of the challenge with, um, with what is happening in government today is with, with reference to COVID 
just just so you know, I'm not talking off the top of my head. Um, when I did my master's in health administration, I had to do a course in epidemiology. And it laid the, 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 that basic framework for me as to how a society deals with a contagious disease um, and brings it under control uh, and protects its people. So, so um, there is no question that to have people locked up at home for months on, hand, on end is is a demoralizing, really emotionally challenging place for people to be. Uh, that's one. Two, it was it was something new. Uh, we hadn't seen something as contagious as this that we didn't understand exactly how right. it spread, and 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 we could right. we can understand how challenging that that was for for the officials to relate to however there are some there were some basic missteps that uh, that took place in the early stages that probably would have saved us um the amount of deaths and and debilitating conditions that even those who didn't die are at home struggling and suffering with even now um when we look at, at south korea South Korea decided we are going to do heavy testing and we're going to um, isolate those individuals who have a disease and we're going to allow the rest of society to continue as, as, as usual. So, so they got into mask wearing early, they got into testing early, and they have not had to shut down their economy the way we have had to do it in New York and, and, and you know California and other places. Uh, we missed that step. We, we missed that opportunity to get this thing early, get that it's early, uh, do the, the, the testing, do the isolation of the people. Um, it's, not that, it's not that the country doesn't have the resources to do it. It is that there were people in the government who were in denial because election was coming and they wanted to run on a strong economy and they feared that if they if they do the things that acknowledge that this is dangerous, it would it would shut down the economy and they would not be able to win the election. So so we watched it as the politics became more important than people's health. And it mushroomed and grew and grew until the very things, you know, I, I was I was chagrined. Whether it was the WHO, uh, the CDC, the FDA, whoever it was that was making those decisions, whatever reason they were making those decisions, okay? I, I worked in healthcare long enough to know that that a surgeon does not wear a mask into surgery or into a patient's room simply because they want to protect the patient from what they have. It's also to protect themselves from what the patient has. So for, for the country to have been told you don't have to wear a mask, simply to protect the supply that was short, was, was a disservice to the society. Um, they should have 
ramped up the production of masks. This country has the, has the capacity, the ability to do that. Um, Patrick? Yeah. We, we have literally run out of time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Could you, uh, would you uh, tell the audience how they can get in touch with you, how they find you, please? Okay. So, so the book can be found on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, so that it's easy to 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 get there. And um, and my my email address is patrickrutherford@gmail.com, and the Patrick is spelled without a K. Very good. Thank you very much for being with us today. Um, I uh, want to thank my listeners for tuning in on the show it's always important that they do that and again the show is searching for integrity so long and happy trails to all